You are listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priest with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated with Pete Sampson from The Athletic. It's the day before Thanksgiving. Notre Dame, number 16, traveling to Stanford. Losers of three in a row, now four and seven. Notre Dame has lost five straight at Stanford, but they are a 16.5-point favorite with a 90% chance of rain and 17-mile-per-hour winds forecasted for Palo Alto Saturday. Guys, uh, this is not the Stanford team we're accustomed to seeing. They are poor in a lot of areas. I do like their quarterback. I think Davis Mills has a lot of ability, but, man, they don't have a lot of assets working for them right now. Yeah, I mean, they're, you lose your starting quarterback, your best DB, um, maybe your best player in Walker Little, their left tackle, uh, very early in the year. And they're, Stanford is, you know, I, O'Malley and I, you were – mentioned this before we started recording, like how good they've been with injuries over the last decade. Um, that has all fallen apart this year. And you you see like why it's so critical that they were able to be essentially healthy all the time. Is like they have very little depth uh, based on how their roster is put together, how the recruiting classes come together. That's just sort of a reality of Stanford football. Um, so when you start losing guys, there's not a – there's no next man in. Yeah. No, you're, you can't just plug the next future pro in because there there might not be anybody on the roster you can put in. That's sort of what the, that's the reality they're living with right now. And all those offensive linemen that made them a viable contender for seven, eight years, they're three guaranteed. They have six healthy linemen and three are freshmen. Or four are freshmen, three have to start. I don't know. I, it's amazing they had a couple upsets along the way, win some games. They yeah. are really... They are reeling. Uh, they can't run. They can throw. It's going to be very windy. They can't defend the pass, and they only defend the run better than the pass because everybody passes on them so easily. They are so young on the back end of their defense. And, man, I, you, you got yeah, there are receivers running all over their secondary. They are just they, they are not getting a body anybody, uh, on anybody. Paulson Adebo, their best defensive back with 10 passes broken up. He has four of their eight interceptions. And he's hurt. Uh, he almost undoubtedly is not going to play in this game. So they but don't have a. He's out. He, he he's definitely out. out. Okay. He so they out. don't. I mean, Costello they, as well. Oh, Costello as yeah. well. You know what? I didn't. I mean, even if, if Costello was available, I think they were going to stick with Mills. I really like the way he throws the football. Ball comes off his hand really nicely. Throws a very catchable ball. Good looking. Uh, good looking ball too as well. But um, Simi Fehoko, who's averaging. About thirty yards a catch uh, is the only guy that's really doing anything as far as big plays at wide receiver, and then their running game. Tim, you count stuffs, man. You would you would have your hands full. <laughs> you have your hands full counting stuffs covering uh, Stanford this year because, and I, you know, and I, I really think I think Cameron Scarlett is a tough, hard nosed guy that maximizes just about every carry that he has, but. They get stuffed so often that the Cal game basically ended with a fourth and one that that where they were stopped by Cal. So they don't have a lot going for them right now. Having said that, it's still Notre Dame going out to Stanford. Notre Dame has lost five in a row, as we said. And you know, I mean, you just you, you don't want you don't want to assume anything against a, a program like Stanford's. No, but I'd be a little more concerned if Notre Dame was in the position they were last year. Having seen that, like when it just there's actually actual pressure on you the entire mm-hmm. game too. Notre Dame's playing great. They don't have any pressure on them. There's no pressure to go to the Camping World Bowl or Citrus Bowl and just go put their evidence. Who even thinks about that right now? They're just out there playing. We saw what pressure did to them and some dead legs in the travel to Syracuse last year and a much more talented opponent. 
that rose up for a day in USC. I mean, they USC had a lot to offer in that game. And I kind of like, we, we've talked about it a few times, Stanford, at the beginning of the year, I just thought to myself, why would they go out there and win? Why would Notre Dame just, decide, just all of a sudden be good enough to go out there and win? Now they're just so much better. I don't even think of it as playing a team you've lost to five straight times. Oh, Stanford is so much worse. Yeah, it's just... Um, it's just, Notre Dame is so much better than Stanford. I'm yeah, it, the, there's a, a gap has swung open there for Notre Dame, and that's. And I asked Brian Kelly about this on Monday, and just like, look, this is if you're going to put it on them, because there are, there's benefits to that. There's benefits to sort of removing the well, if you want to win football games, which school, which academic school do you want to go to? Argument, settling that. Um, this is the time to do it. I mean, Stanford is there to be blown out. Yeah. Um, as long as there's not gale force winds and driving rain, I would expect Notre Dame to, to really make a point of blowing them out. I, You know, players I like in addition to Davis Mills, their quarterback, Casey Tuhill is a good football player. I mean, much like Max Richardson stood out last week mm-hmm. for Boston College, I think Casey Tuhill, at least is when, when Adebo's not on the field, Tuhill clearly is the, the best player they have out there. People will recognize the name Thomas Booker. He's one of their starting defensive ends. I wrote this in uh, my film review. He's a he's a small 6'4", 280, if that makes any sense, because he's quick, and it's, it's hard to keep him blocked, but when you do have a big man on him, he generally stays blocked, uh, and that's why I think losing Tommy Kramer or not having Tommy Kramer for this game kind of hurts in that regard, but... He's their best football player. I don't see – I mean, I kind of like Curtis Robinson, one of their inside linebackers, but Andrew Pritz, who was recruited by Notre yep. Dame, has really been ineffective. I mean, I, I just I – did, I didn't see him make a play. I'm sure he has, but he hasn't made anything of real significance. And then we talked about the secondary where, where their youth is exposed on a regular basis. It's people running free. That's what, uh, that's what our Insider's preview noted. That's what you noted there. Their secondary is a major problem, and people would really be salivating right now if not for the winds and rain because nobody would kill them through the air. Um, now, of course, Stanford's can only score by throwing right now, too. It, it's just a, it's a strange world we're living in with Stanford and Notre Dame matching up. It's Look, wind doesn't help Stanford that much other than Notre Dame's a much better team, and it, and it can take away Notre Dame's greatest strength right now, which is throwing the football and Ian, having the Ian Book having the ball in his hands. Um, but Stanford's not running the ball in Notre Dame. No, and it's, well, no, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, come on. Notre Dame's one of their greatest strengths is their ability to stop you from yeah. throwing the ball on them. I mean, it's just statistically, their, their pass efficiency rating defense are fifth nationally. 11 touchdowns, 9 picks is really two, you could argue, three straight years where they've been good against the pass. Um, less so in 2017 when they didn't have anything safety, at safety. Yeah. Or, I'm, yeah, in 2017. But... Um, they just they have the answers for what you're trying to do throwing the ball. So I think if Davis Mills throws it fifty times, Notre Dame's like, Great. Let's just let's just do that and see what happens. Yeah, I'm surprised to see his touchdown interception interception ratio is nine to five. I think he's better than that. But yeah, you're right. And you know, I mean, as far as uh like Notre Dame's run defense right now is their linebackers are playing great football. I mean, they're playing downhill and they're playing yes. great football. So Stanford's not going to run. I, you know, I can sit here once again and make a big issue about how beat up Notre Dame is on their interior defensive line, but Stanford is not equipped right now to take advantage of that. They shouldn't be. No, and the, the issue with Notre Dame being beaten up is just 
how much do you stress Adamiola to play in this game when he couldn't go last week? So he's not that much better now on the sprained ankle, and an MTA will be out, we believe, um, clearly. Adamiola and, has to play. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, David Lacey can start there, and Adamiola maybe only has to give him Jacob. Jacob Lacey, sorry. I've said that a couple times now. And uh, maybe Adamiola doesn't have to go to the point where he... I mean, you could re-injure an ankle at any moment. That's in any sport. The Which I think it is... You know, if this was September 15th, right. I might sort of be like, yeah, I can see where you're coming from, O'Malley. It's, this is the last game. But he can, I'm saying he sprained it again. I'm fine. saying he could, that he would be out, is yeah. my point. It's not that it hurts them next week or the next yeah, month. I'm just, saying that yeah, then they, they need Spears to be able to play. He was, Adamiola was limping terribly in pregame last week, so you knew immediately there was no way. I do find it interesting that, you know, Brian Kelly volunteered that Foskey was going to play a role in this. That Doesn't that indicate that they're going to take somebody from the outside and stick them inside? Might be Foskey. That might be what they stick in there. It it could be that uh, I find that a little bit unusual, but it, it well the third it could down be. he's third I down mean, pass rushing okay for well, LTA and just the from the standpoint that look he hasn't played in a couple weeks right yeah so what's he doing in practice he's not necessarily repping at defensive end he'd be like hey look we need you to cross train at three technique I mean when we talked to Josh Love yesterday he said he's been taking snaps at center just in case in practices uh, for the last two weeks. So I would think with Foskey, the the flexibility is even greater there to be like, all right, you're our three technique, particularly in the dime package against a team that's going to throw it 50 times. You're probably going to play 15 snaps a dime. Um, you're the guy in that role, um, you know, because that, that role has gone to MTA. It went to Lacey last week. They don't need to stress either of those players that way this right. week. Yeah, if Lacey starts, then you certainly don't want him in the package also. So that's perfect. If he's your starting defensive tackle, because Adam Yola can't go yeah. or can't go well, then you got to get him off the field at some point. So he's not going to play 70 snaps for the first time in his life. I don't know if they'll bring Cross. Cross has disappeared from the depth chart, which is a good thing for his four I know Pete's concerned about the four-game redshirt rule here. <laughs> Spears, this is game three, Pete. Case you need to track it for you. Well, I, I, heard an, I heard an argument last week for playing Cross, and I just totally disagreed with that. And have we talked about this? You, you, yeah. The point that you made to me, not only – okay, you you could say, okay, burn a year this year and you can preserve it next year, which – I mean, I know that, that that's kind of come into play with some guys here recently, but Cross will be that much better next year, and so you want him to play. But what could happen, Tim O'Malley, if you played him now, burn his year of eligibility, and in the first month of the season next next year? Or any season going forward if he gets hurt in Game 5. And you lose him for the, during Game 5, and he's played five games, and you just lost a year for no reason so whatsoever. So now it would be, now it'd be two prior. years. That's yeah. two years he's missing. Like, that's why Dalen Hayes... Thankfully, he got hurt in Game 4 for his career. Had he got hurt in Game 5, not that you were redshirting Hayes, but like someone like that, you don't burn it for no reason. Now, I mean, if well, you're you redshirting Jameer Jones. Like, right. That would have been what happened. They ran Jameer Jones on, on kickoffs all the time, and it didn't work out. It's You have to have some roster management. I know it's not the most important thing, and that's why Pete laughs at these things, weird because we well, drill down at it. But, like, look, does Kona Schwenke playing change Notre Dame football 2014? No, but maybe you beat Louisville and Northwestern if he hadn't been lost because he had never registered. I think in this sense, it's like I would burn the year on Hunter Spears because he's the guy that you can register. Clearly, they he's like, the guy you can register in the future. Yeah, yes. They like cross more. Right. That makes sense. That does. That makes sense to me. I agree with that. But and he will you, be better you, off. For... Maybe you can scoff at it, yeah. but these guys, <laughs> the guy, the guys in the Goog are giving a ton of consideration. Well, he had a whole, Brian Kelly had his whole laminated chart ready to he talk did. to him about. I, he held up his chart the other day, and what did he say? I have the schedule. 
Yeah. And I'm like, schedule? What? It's game 12. I know what the schedule is. <laughs> and then I, then I re- when I saw the different colors on I realized that, okay, it's probably participation chart. Um, so I, went, I, I wasn't trying to fool him the other week. No, I, I thought he I was clearly caught off guard that for he was. Howard Cross yeah. went in for a kneel down. Should he, thank, he should thank you. <laughs> he should, I think yes. they probably would have played Howard Cross last week. And I'm like, oh, man. So Yeah, it's true. Okay, segment two coming up, burning up the boards. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We are back with segment two, burning up the boards. First question from Mr. Outerbridge. What can Notre Dame learn from Stanford's surprising run of success over the last decade and or its current downtrend? Make sure your strength program's in good shape. Um, I think Stanford's sort of finding that out now. That I don't, I don't know what the circumstances were of them uh, parting ways with their head strength coach, who I think Notre Dame sort of looked. When at did that? When did that happen? Last off season. Okay. Um, so this is sort of the first year without it. Um, Notre Dame can certainly tell you that when you don't have your strength program figured out, it makes everything a lot harder. Um, and when you do, makes every just you seem to win those Virginia Tech games and not lose to teams that you're better than. Um, and that's sort of where Notre Dame is right now. So that's look, that's a lesson already learned, but it's I think it's worth repeating every day of the year. Yeah. I think you know keep recruiting profile. If schools like Notre Dame and Stanford, it's very important that they stick to that. I thought it was interesting that Mike Elson told me during the summer that it took him seven or eight years before he realized how he should recruit for Notre Dame. So I think that's important. O line, D line, you got to be you. I mean, you got to continue to to be good there. And then I mean. I'm, pretty much covering the gamut here, I guess. But if you're going to compete with the big boys, you got to get the skill position athletes. Um, Stanford is lacking that right now. Um, Notre Dame, Brian Kelly admitted uh, a couple weeks ago that they need to continue to work on that and improve that. So uh, it's not easy. I, I, you know, we mentioned it on Monday. We're a little bit amazed at how good Stanford has been and remained 94 wins in nine years. And now they're four and seven. Not taking nothing away from Stanford because I enjoyed watching that program. Notre Dame should never have to learn anything from Stanford again at this point. Notre Dame is beyond, should be beyond that. Well, that's a good it, point. It that's is, a good point. They know they know who they are. They know what they can be. Right. This is not 2010 all over again. Right. When I Brian mean, one Kelly thing, said that's the model we're shooting for, and I wanted to throw up a little bit, but he yeah. was right. But it's not he never, good to hear. He never said that again after no, that, did he? he did not. In fact, yeah. he, he ran from that right. many times after that. Having an NFL quarterback helps too. I mean, if you yeah. want to follow the Stanford model, but that certainly they have had better talent. Um, it's, they've had amazing skill position talent. If you think about it, at least highlight feature guys. And the key to them, though, is during that run was how good their defense was because teams get an all a superstar running back like Bryce Love, but when you have a superstar running back like Christian McCaffrey and a great defense. And as Pete points out, sometimes you have a pro quarterback. Yeah. That's, where, that's where they were great as opposed to good. I remember talking to Brian Polian about this, and he said one of the things that Harbaugh was so good at there was, all right, what's our identity? And then, okay, now I'm going to recruit to that. I'm going to find, um, it's like, I think, Fleener. Um, yeah. I mean, he might have been the Chicago guy. Chicago area. I was like, give me an undersized guy that then we can just build up. They have they have a very conscious sort of like five year program right there, which I think Notre Dame that's something they could learn from. Yeah, um, yeah. it's like 
extend the careers of these guys. And if they grad transfer out, they grad transfer out. Um, that it sort of Stanford knew who it was, and then they recruited to yeah. it. And Notre Dame has been a little bit all over the place in the last 10 years, but now they're, they're much of, more they're, focused. Yeah, this is who we are. This is what we're trying to recruit. Speaking of Stanford tight ends, you know how many touchdowns Colby Parkinson has? Six foot seven Colby Parkinson no. that can't be stopped in the red zone? One. That's amazing. He has 45 receptions and one touchdown. Do you know how many touchdowns Cole Komet has? Because it's relevant. Uh, what's his total? Six. 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 And it's tied for the most in the history of Notre Dame at the position. With Ken, what? With Ken McAfee. That's... I disagree with this. It is totally... I know <laughs> no, you're, you're wrong. It is totally <laughs> accurate. And I've written this story for when Kyle Rudolph <laughs> came and when Tyler Eifert was going to break it and when Troy Nicholas almost Six, broke it right. five and when Cole Komet and Alizé Mack and everybody else, he has tied Ken McAfee. And he's going to get one more. That's uh, yeah, he probably will. That's that's pretty amazing. But they didn't use those tight ends like Parkinson has used at Stanford. I just don't know how. Well, they're ba- they're bad in the red zone. They don't get in the red zone very often, and they're bad when they get there. And their defense is not good in the red zone either. More reasons why Nording should win this game this weekend. See <laughs> Frazier. Stanford always scares me when Nording plays them at home. Jim Harbaugh and David Shaw had slash have Kelly's number in Palo Alto. What has to go right for Stanford and wrong for Notre Dame to keep this game close? I mean, weather. And that will, but both teams have it. I, it's just the circumstances of terrible things happening to a team at times, right? Yeah. You, have, you can drive down and throw an interception in the end zone. You can what? have... Jafar Armstrong Jafar, can fumble at the one. It could be returned for a touchdown. It can fumble in your own territory and hand them a touchdown when you're already down seven or something. C.J. Sanders could fumble a kickoff return. You're right. Um, your quarterback could throw a terrible interception. Um, it's a turnover situation. It's calamity. Yeah, and that's like that's not that's not really great analysis. That's just no. like this could happen to anyone at any time. Uh, but it, it's the inexplicables. Um, you know, similar to what would have to happen for Notre Dame to win at Georgia. You probably have to have a Colossal error by Georgia in the special teams department that Notre Dame recovers the 10-yard line. Notre Dame won the inexplicables in that game. Um, but Stanford's going to have to do something similar to beat Notre Dame on Saturday. I just, it's it's hard to sit there and predict that kind of stuff. Big plays from Mills to Fehoko, uh, which has worked for them previously. As far as things that have to happen yeah, guy, in order the for them to win, quarterback receiver gets hot. Has happened to very good, has defeated yeah. very good teams in the past. Where he's got dude he, gets going, and you can it's it's hard to stop him, but it's still be he can Mills can really spin it. He he can really spin it. I'm not sure what I was looking at prior to the game on Saturday, but I didn't. I think it was probably the Colorado game where they only scored 13 points, or I'm not sure. Him and him and Costello bounced around, and then Jack West started against. If you wonder why they lost to UCLA. I it's, watched that game. It's Holy because crap. it's because Jack West <laughs> wow. played quarterback, and I their only touchdown was a block punt for a touchdown. I'm pretty sure. I think I unwatchable that. Yeah, game. that that's uh, that was bad. Uh, that was bad offensive football. Judge Arthur Vandalay. It's supposed to rain on Saturday. How much should I bet on Stanford to cover? I think that's a reference to uh, some recent poor yes. performances yeah. in in uh, driving rainstorms. I don't think this is a. I'm being told that this not it's not like driving rainstorm Michigan. It's raining, but I hope not, man. Although, but although I, it's they're predicting 17 mile an hour winds. So, oh, wind is the number one thing that derails passing games. But as we said, Stanford can't run; they have to throw too. I mean, I tell you what: if it's terrible weather, maybe Notre Dame only wins 
twenty to three, and the line goes up to seventeen. You push or something. You're twenty to six, right? Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it's can a, score just as easily as Stanford can. Exactly. And Stanford isn't any better prepared to pass the football than Notre Dame. So or run it. Yeah. Right, and yeah. And Notre Dame's rush defense is more prepared. Exactly. Tying in with this from way to go, K man. Looks like a ton of rain Saturday. In Palo Alto, over under 30, 30 passing attempts for Notre Dame. Over. Absolutely. I, I mean, I'm convinced of that. Oh, but I don't think it's going to be way over. Because like Stanford does 30. not play fast. Yeah. It's a, you're saying you're 65. Not, so less you're not so. running a ton of plays. Um, so that that's a situation where I, that art, I don't want to say artificially depresses the number of plays in the game. So the number of passes would come down to, I mean, Stanford's 108th and plays run. Um, I don't think that's going to really change a whole lot. More passes than runs. That's, that's a question. That's yeah. a, yes, that's a good point. They've never been a they've never been an offense that runs a whole lot of plays. Maddie Hebb's fourteen top five performing position groups for Notre Dame this season. Linebacker, defensive end, safety, defensive tackles, corners. All on defense. Hmm. Um, I think I would go number one would be, you know, I, I kind of want to put linebackers one just because it's it's relative to my expectations. You know, it's kind of one of those most improved types of awards. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd put them up there. Uh, tight ends I would I would put up there. Um, you know, I think Tommy Tremble's done some good stuff. Obviously, Cole Komet is Cole Komet. Um, and I think at the end of the year, Fifth spot's probably going to be quarterback. The book he's keeps got playing two to go. the way that he's, he's playing. He's got two to go, though, right? Um, but yeah, I would, I would say that the defensive line I would just put in one group. And okay. As did um, I. Okay. You know, it's probably that's my number three. And safety is four. He's got Hamilton, too. There's um, three safeties playing. You know, it's like, have the, has Gilman been unbelievable? No, but he's been really good. You know, Jalen Elliott, I don't think has blown me away, but he's been fine um, to good. And then Kyle Hamilton is again. It's like relative to expectations. I, you know, I argue that if if you have the number five pass efficiency it's, defense in the country, there's no way the safeties can be playing poorly. No, I mean, that, I just, I hopefully just no not, one is thinking that that's what we're saying. Eh, well, no, no, okay. no, you're not. I, but I just had I've had whatever. I I tend to overplay minority opinions, but I but I have had some feedback about Gilman, and I'm just like, man, I, you can't measure safeties on. Passes broken up per se, or certainly interceptions, whatever. I have linebackers one, I have D line two, I have the kicker and punter three. Yeah, oh, I wasn't sure one. where to put them. Yeah. Uh, and then I would put the safeties, and I would agree with you, Pete, that as this season comes to a close, I would put quarterback in that number five spot. And I, you know, Chase Claypool deserves a category of his own, I guess. Yeah, but you can't say wide receiver because they struggled no, their wide right. receiver for so long. Exactly. Yeah, it's, I mean, how do you judge safeties? Probably long pass plays allowed, right? Notre Dame is top five in ten yard pass plays allowed, and top five in twenty yard yeah. pass. I plays mean, allowed. I just I, I i would I would agree that Elliott has kind of gone unnoticed and sometimes been I thought early in the year he's around the ball, and then maybe in the mid season he wasn't. But I mean, Gilman is I, I just I'm such a big defender of Gilman because it's so hard to find a guy. Well, that's not true because you have you, uh, Kareem refuses to get hurt. Um, Claypool refuses to get hurt. I mean, you have guys like that on his team, and, and, and I think that Gilman's at the top of that list. I think they're going to miss Gilman the most next year. Oh, man. Because, and I, I don't know if I mentioned this yet, or if I ruined a story I was about to write, but uh, 
Alohi Gilman alongside Kyle Hamilton would make Kyle Hamilton an All-American next year. Oh, my because God. Because Kyle Hamilton wouldn't have to do what he's going to have to do as the main and with Cro- And with Crawford coming back for a sixth year, and I, I'm, I, I think Tariq Bracey is on the verge of becoming a really good corner next year and the yeah. year after, uh, that would make for, that'd make for a, a heck of a secondary despite your losses. Kaiser Wilhelm of Notre Dame's Camping World Bowl opponents, which would you say is the most likely, and which would you actually prefer Notre Dame plays? I feel like Oklahoma State is my answer to both. And I realize there's the Matt Campbell-Iowa State stuff, which would be fun. But if you can get – I want to see Chuba Hubbard play. He leads the nation in rushing. I did get a – I got a definitive pronunciation, and it is Chuba. Chuba. Yep. Him too. I also want to see him play. <laughs> They're both good. Yeah, I mean, cut him in half. They both leave Notre Dame rushing. Yeah, I so mean, no... he's. Do you know where Chuba Hubbard's from? Uh, it's like Edmonton or Calgary or something. Right. Um, he's the other Canadian. Did you know that football. Notre Dame was aware of Chuba Hubbard during no, the recruiting know that. process? Oh. Hmm. They what? were. And did they? He's at He's at Oklahoma State. Huh. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Um, I think. Uh, I think Oklahoma State's a more interesting matchup because of Gundy, and although there is the impression that you know that they're gonna they're going to come in and throw the ball all over the, all over the yard, and it's really the other way around with Iowa State. Iowa State has the number six passing offense. Uh, their defenses are about the same. Both are poor as pass defenses, so that plays well for Notre Dame. I wanna I wanna ask you guys this question, okay? What is the loophole that gets Notre Dame into the Orange Bowl? Tell me what the loophole is that gets Notre Dame. I don't know what it is. I'm asking you, but I know the I, I, what I do know is that who was it Herb Street that said Notre Dame the Orange Bowl if they're 10 and 2? Yeah, that's not. He didn't just pull that out of the air. He didn't just pull that out of the air. There's something going on here. But there has to be a loophole in order for that to happen. I don't know what it is. I, I mean, there's the Orange Bowl was at the Navy game, which made no sense. Um, cause... I, t- it's, it's now becoming two plus two plus two for me. and that's. But I don't have the answer. Yeah. This is like it's, somebody it, somewhere knows something. I'm going with exactly. that somebody. Exactly. I, I don't know like, what it is. I feel like he misspoke and not what you're saying. No, I don't think that that's true. I don't think that that's true. Well, find a loophole on your flight. Yeah, yeah we need I have no idea what it is. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Jack Sellier on this podcast. I don't. I don't probably tell you. I don't know. Well, yeah, he. He. I'm sure he knows. I'm sure he wouldn't want to tell me right just yet. But um, this is a Notre Dame grad that's the head of the Orange Bowl right. Committee. Um, who, who, who let us know have... we were going to Dallas last year when everybody wanted to go to right, Miami. Right, yeah, right. No, listen, yeah. we're going to Dallas. Yeah. So hey, uh, I to, anyway, my answer is neither. I want to play in the Citrus Bowl against Auburn. Yeah, I mean that's the game I yeah, want most want to see. Yeah. Or Florida, I think, would be uh, better prepared to beat Florida than Auburn because Auburn's defense would be a well. They'd have to throw 167 times, right. 170 snaps in the game because the running would be futile against Auburn. Yeah. Um, addressing a topic that we started to address earlier here from Ne Davis too. What is the key difference between Buck and Rover? Why would Wu be a better candidate to move to that position when he is excelling at Rover? Rather than Paul Moala. I agree with any Davis because I think Wu can be a All-American level rover. But the better reason to move him is? I think, I think Buck linebacker is more important. It's centrally located. You have to be, you have to have a great tackler 
at Buck, you have no chance if you don't have a great tackler at Buck. Whereas, um, you know, now certainly the Rovers is significant on the edge. Uh, but as we saw last year, you can sub out for that guy in certain situations. Uh, I'm open-minded about it, but I just think that, especially with the way Brian Kelly couched it the other day or last week, that Ousu Koromoa is a candidate to move inside, provided that Jack Lamb and his hip is an issue. Maybe even 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 if Jack yeah, Lamb's I, healthy. I mean, I guess I would just look at it from the standpoint of Asmar Bolal played Buck. Or I'm sorry, started at Rover, then moved to Buck, then moved to Mike, then moved back to Buck. So I, we'll see what happens in spring. And even if what happens in spring probably or couldn't necessarily be what happens in fall. To put a bow on this for now, they also like what Moala could do at Rover and what Jack Kaiser could do in relief of Moala at Rover. And you mentioned you can take them off the field in passing situations. Right. So Wu plays every down at Buck. And he's running around. Shane like Simon's Asper. probably out for a while. Yeah, could, could and I'm not sure necessarily. Somebody's got to play yeah. Buck. I'm not sure necessarily you have to take a Moala or a Kaiser off the field in passing situations. I mean, I guess, you know, if you're going to use a, a true DB there, uh, which Moala was at, at one point. Jerfy T, I'm not sure if I actually wrote that correctly or not, but what is up with Liam Eichenberg getting at least one false start every single game? Have the coaches expressed any frustration with this? And my response to that would be, not to us. I'm sure they have. But I'm sure they have. Yes. <laughs> well, he was asked about a lot. Tyler James from the South Bend Tribune did a story on false starts this week. So he asked Kelly a lot As a former him. offensive lineman As a lineman former offensive himself. lineman, yeah. Um, so Notre Dame has 29 false starts. This is James' research. I'm, I wrote the story. Oh. 29 false starts. Wow, 21 with the first unit. Seven or six, maybe it's six with Dracovic and two on punt. And you Punting had, situations. You had the two backup guards have back to back false starts in yes. the fourth quarter. The last fourth week. Part, do you see Dracovic's face, by the way, on that second false start? Uh-huh. In the look of, how come I always play at the backup line? Yeah. <laughs> on his face. So, but, uh, oh, Grunhardt didn't play, by the way. I think he must be hurt. Uh, yeah, I wondered about yeah. that too at the time. Considering Fair caught a punt the day before, yeah. the week before. Was that uh, his fourth game? They're saving your <laughs> Yeah, yeah they, they have to save everybody. Uh, Eichenberg has seven, according to the research. So it's a lot. I know Komet has at least right, four. So that's five, not though. one a game. But Komet has four. Although, but you know, you know how it is with false starts. If it's three, it seems like six. If it's four, it seems like eight. You know. McGlinchey had eight when he was McGlinchey. In 2016. Wow, that's a lot. But he's going to get tied, I'm going to guess. Credit to him for having a good sense of humor about the nickname yeah, Nick Flinchy. <laughs> um, I'm sure they're very frustrated about it. It's I think they're more frustrated, certainly, with the 21 from the starting group than what happens when Dracovic goes in with the backups because I bet that happens to every team in the country when the backup quarterback goes in with the backups and everything. Operation was yeah. all uh, But uh, 21 from your starters, that's terrible. Why would you have 21 well, that's, uh, that's That's two a game. And they had none against one team because they're bragging about it on the broadcast when Notre Dame got his first false start. Well, they haven't seen that in a week or two or something like that. So How many did they have against Georgia? At least four. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they should have had Well, Komet had, yeah. Yeah. Had, <laughs> had two or three. It's yeah. like, yeah, watching that tape, there are a lot of instances where, like, yeah, you should have called that a false start, <laughs> and they didn't. Uh, ND Squid 23 is this new version of Ian Book sustainable for 2020? If so, what have you seen in the last three weeks, other than weak secondaries, that leads you to that conclusion? Right. I, um, I literally am going to say this for the last time. What, what am I going to say? Well, we found your pet peeve. If, if Pete's eligibility yeah. issues with injured players, you're about to go into yours right here. I'm positive. Go ahead. 
You think? I'm positive. No, I, I no, I was going to talk about Navy doesn't have a bad secondary. Navy hit Navy perennially has put out good defensive backs. Notre Dame or Navy doesn't have a bad secondary, but that's neither here nor there. Um, your pet peeve is it doesn't matter who they're playing if you're looking good. You're play, if you're playing, oh, you're playing well. Well, yeah, because if you didn't recruit recruits playing against bad competition, you wouldn't recruit some of the best players in the country. You have to. I mean, can't you can't you see when a quarterback is playing well, regardless whether the defense is good or bad? Now, you know if if your receivers are covered, well, then your quarterback isn't going to look as good. But when when a guy is sharp when he's delivering the football on time when he's throwing it accurately when he's making good decisions when he's making good checks at the line of scrimmage when he's running at the right time when he has good pocket presence does it i mean can't you see that that's good football i'm with you ian book though with the masses will not be reevaluated no, until because, they play auburn or ford in the citrus I, bowl or wisconsin or clemson and i and i Next and week. i understand that completely and i understand that when the season started we said well He's not going to suffer the sophomore problem that Notre Dame quarterbacks in the past have, and then he did. But why shouldn't it be sustainable? As long as Ian Book's head is correct. This is what we expected from him. Right. right as year. long as Ian Book's yeah. head is right, which it now is, why why shouldn't it be sustainable? No, I mean, he should be able to take this and build on it. Other than Other than... But he won't have number 83 to throw to next year. Yeah, and Chris Fink, clearly there's some chemistry yeah. there that's finally clicked in. And But I think he just, he's able to see guys coming open now in a way that he didn't consistently do that in no. the beginning of the season. So there's no reason why that wouldn't continue. <laughs> He'll have a summer with Kevin Austin, a spring and a summer with Kevin Austin, Lawrence Keyes, Braden Lindsay, Jordan Johnson, a couple other, Cole Komet is key to the passing game, Tommy Tremble, and... They won't be as good in week one as they will be in week five, probably, as a unit. But it all builds up to a few games, three or four games, right? Georgia was the the killer when you're looking at the season this year. Just like, wow, that test is coming. You know? I don't think people would have been as afraid of Georgia if you put it where the Michigan game was. Right. But it, it, it turns out everybody would have been wrong. But. Yeah. <laughs> B.L. Casper never really got... Any of your thoughts on the uniform Saturday? Don't you all agree those gold pants need to stay? All I care about is the black shoes. Keep them. They're great. Black shoes are awesome. I didn't even notice the uniforms on the black shoes. It's not, it's not in my... Oh, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, They're better than new ones. I mean... Didn't you think they... <laughs> didn't you think they looked too small? Didn't you think... Didn't you think every player was wearing a size too small? Because the no, way that because of the way they're no, if you look at it, go back and look at it because you weren't looking for it. I, I I mean I think it's just the cut of the uniform the the no. the way they're you know okay. it was it was they were showing more bicep because of the way the cut of the uniform and I just thought the pants looked small. Everybody loves the color of them. Great man, whatever. I, I let's start a petition. I want the big shoulder pads back too. The big shoulder pads with the big numbers was always yeah, was pretty cool. You couldn't, roll, you, you couldn't, you couldn't walk through the doorway of the locker room, but those yeah, the new the new visitors, those were, yeah, the new the visitors wouldn't be able to get through the, the damn door, the locker room at Notre Dame Stadium. Don't you like the black shoes? I like the black great. shoes. I do. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, that was cool. Shelby Irish, best receiver of the Kelly era, Chase Claypool or Will Fuller. They also had Michael Floyd in the Kelly era. I will point out. Will Fuller, hey, come on. Yeah, like the big, Claypool, yeah, on. the big play. I mean, the big plays were so extreme. I, I, I mean, I just, 
I love Chase Claypool the way he attacks the game. Um, you know, teams. yeah, I mean, I, I, I think he's tremendous, but the big playability and just the sheer yardage that, that Fuller put up, he's got to get the nod. He I know, I know he does with you. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, he does with me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah You're no, right. Yeah, like, both Will Fuller's sophomore and junior seasons were both better than Claypool's senior season. And Fuller as a junior was out of this world. I mean, he was just, yeah. he was running by Ohio State when they had nothing on the team left other than injuries, Notre Dame and the Fiesta Bowl. That's, he kind of got him back in it. On a bad ankle. Yeah, it's, he was a great player. Uh, Claypool's had a great year. He's my MVP. And uh, William Floyd was a really good wide receiver for Brian Kelly, too. Yeah. Uh, with worse quarterbacking in situ, just with the worst team. Did you just say around. William Floyd? He did. I did. William Floyd was my favorite fullback. He would not be able to get down the uh, visitor's tunnel in Notre Dame. No, <laughs> but he was a good fullback. Yeah. Bar none. Good nickname he gave himself, too. Nick Dubose, if Notre Dame concludes the season by beating Stanford as it should and Michigan beats Ohio or, yeah, Michigan beats Ohio State, do you think it changes the perception of the loss to Michigan in any way? I, I have a one-word answer, and there's only two letters in it. <laughs> I'm with you, and I don't think anything can. Yeah, there was – I kind of uh, abbreviated this question. There was more to his explanation, but – I mean, I, I I understand what you're saying because then it would put Michigan in a in a greater light. But at the time, I mean, you know, at the time, imagine what you remember what the perception was of Michigan. Um, I, no, in Notre you can't lose by 31. We all know Alabama was great in 2012, right? Does it change your perception that Notre Dame got absolutely annihilated? No, it's not like the Clemson Alabama dynamics of last year. Whereas after Clemson worked over Alabama a week later, you're like, oh, well, maybe Notre Dame is a little bit better than I thought. But the dynamics of that Clemson game were totally different than the dynamics of the Michigan game. Yes. Even though at one point, I think it was a seven-point game in the uh, second quarter. You know, Notre Dame was in it. It was a one-score game. It was 17-7 in the third quarter against Michigan. Sure as hell didn't feel that way. I, I'm with you. Uh, they were in the Clemson game. They were not in the Michigan game. Right. There was, there was no hope of offense. No, I after that, high. after that first uh, touchdown, it was just down there, man. Was, I mean, you needed you needed multiple short fields with which to work, and that obviously didn't happen. Uh, Chico four nine two three. What is the one thing you most love about covering Notre Dame football, and the one thing you most dislike? I love the games. The games <clears throat> are fun. We've talked about that. Um, almost every game is fun, and look forward to going to every game. Uh, I don't even mind road games. I mean, I don't even mind night games. I just mind them more. I'd like rather have more day games. Like the, it's ridiculous when you play Duke at night. That's just kind of you know you don't need to play Duke at night because it's. I want to play Georgia at night. That's the atmosphere. That's why yeah. You don't want that events. to be a day game. No, but I don't want to play Duke at night. night. And Notre Dame right. is just the weirdest team that always gets those night games against. Well, they're a great draw for fans, and they play bad teams at night. That'd be the only yeah. thing. Um, I don't like the blue goal game. <laughs> at all. I'm on record as saying that. It drives me crazy that people care so much about the blue goal game. Whatever. Huh. Whoever played, it's it's the fourth most important scrimmage of the spring. It just happens to be on TV. And uh, lack That's of access point. to coaches makes our job hard. Not head coach. Coaches. Yeah. I like the blue goal game. Ugh. Because oh, it ends. Not because, because it ends. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's like yeah, the yeah. Stanford-USC <laughs> at road game at Thanksgiving. That's how I, I feel... Similarly, walking out of the Blue Gold game as I do when I leave the Coliseum or Stanford Stadium. Um, That's a wrap. Weekend. Yeah, it feels good. So that, that would be one of the things I like about covering when the season ends. Um, 
Yeah, I mean the lack of access to coaches is rough. Um, it, the is, the, la- the lack of change, or even access to players is. I was going to say the, la- the lack of uh, variety. Coaches offer so much more than, than players yeah. can. If you just get it um, once in a while. One of the things that the the games I think are great. Um, you know, to be at live events like Clemson, Georgia, you know, even Michigan. Um, certainly, last year and this year were both like pretty wild scenes. That's awesome. Um, you know, the ability to tell really interesting stories every once in a while is great. I love that part of the job. And I think one of the things that uh, I struggle with is how much, like, you know, Chris Tyree could be great. Jordan Johnson could be great. But there, Tyler, I went out to San Diego to do something on Tyler Buckner. So I'm part of the, like, hey, look at this next tiny new thing. Um, that is kind of rough because it's like everything is sort of be- is bigger than it needs to be before it actually happens but that's a co- that's a college football problem not a Notre Dame problem. yeah, that's, so yeah that's not a Notre Dame problem that's the next big thing is always it's quite loud at Notre Dame but it's that happens everywhere major significant college football competition is still as thrilling to me today as it was 38 years ago that's I mean my I favorite think it, thing I think far. I think it's yeah. awesome and analyzing it and breaking it down and trying to come up with answers as to why this happened and why it didn't happen um is fun. What do I dislike? Trolls. And troll to me, trolls is all encompassing because it it also includes. Um, <laughs> Your first two letters. I thought you were going to say transcripts. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, because that's bad. Too. Oh, I hate I hate transcribing <laughs> yeah. interviews. Yes, I've always hated doing that. Um, I mean that the the people that follow the game that suck. Every ounce of joy out of covering Notre Dame football. Yeah, Twitter has a real effect of that, man. Um, but I, I mean, it's just an all-encompassing trolls because I think that the most pathetic human being on the face of the earth is somebody that hates Notre Dame and then or whatever school, yeah. and then trolls them constantly, anonymously. You are a coward to the highest degree. J.J. Allwine, can you predict the emerging players that will start to show after bowl prep and into 2020? If we had a mic, we would have dropped it there. Yeah, End, wow. of, the, uh, <laughs> end of the entire podcast. Put that question last. Uh, happy, and happy Thanksgiving to you, you loser. <laughs> Listening to this. <laughs> Get off my feed. Um, emerging players after bowl prep in 2020. Uh, Isaiah Foskey will find a role. Will look really good in the spring. Find a role. Uh, and Kevin Austin is going to be great. Oh, jeez. Yeah, don't forget that guy. He's going to be great this spring. Kevin Austin's going to. Oh, you're coming. See, now you're you're starting to make this predictions. Spring. This spring. Oh, okay. great. <laughs> I see. I'm just not guaranteeing. Yeah. Okay. They can't no, be guaranteed. No. Uh, they're great players, though. Yeah. I was going to go back to something the Priester mentioned earlier. I think, I think Tariq Bracey has had a good season. I'm not sure I understand why he was used or not used the way that he wasn't. Uh, but I think he's going to be somebody that's talked about as like, hey, this is a frontline player now, um, you know, coming out of spring practice. I don't know what the heck's going to happen at linebacker with the Wusukormoa, Paul Moala, yeah. uh, you know, injury situations there. And, I, you know, the Isaiah Foskey for sure will be one. Um, I bet Howard Cross gets a few mentions along oh. the way too. Is like, hey, this guy's really coming on and could be the guy next to Lacey for 2021 and yeah. 2022. Um, for questions like this, it's bad to go last because because you guys mentioned. I mean, clearly, I think Kevin Austin is going to. I think Kevin Austin is going to become Notre Dame's go-to receiver next fall. 
Bracey, I've loved since recruiting. I think I agree with you, Pete. I, th- I thought he had a really good game against Boston College, and he gave up a deep ball. I, I get that, but the rest of his game was really, really good. I also have loved Howard Cross since recruiting, uh, and nothing has happened to dissuade me from that. Foskey, I, you know, I liked Foskey better than Osafo Mensa, but I didn't necessarily <clears throat> think that Foskey was going to be spoken in, spoken in the terms that Brian Kelly is using at this stage of his career. Mawala, I think, takes a, on a bigger role. Lindsey's role increases, although he's already at the forefront. And I think Tommy Tremble um, is a guy that will continue to progress as, as well. Elise Fam 5. Has anyone asked Jack Swarbrick why he agreed to play an ACC team in the Orange Bowl when we play five games a year against them? Our road to any New Year's Six Bowl is difficult and barring undefeated season, almost impossible to make the playoffs. You know, Jack Swarbrick should have gone into that meeting and said, you know, I know that the ACC has been affiliated with the Orange Bowl since the beginning of the Orange Bowl, but I want this changed so we don't have to play a sixth. And I, Khalees Fam 5, I'm just making fun a little bit, but the the signing of the ACC contract and everything that went with it, with it and all the sports at Notre Dame is, is, to me, at the top of the greatest achievements in Notre Dame athletic director history. But you can't control everything. And one of those is 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 persuading them to uh, uh, not have the affiliation with ACC tied in with the, the Orange Bowl. You just you can't change that. Right. You can't have everything. You know, Notre Dame was not in a position of much leverage uh, when they joined the ACC. They had to make the best of kind of, kind of I don't want to say bluff their way through it, but they didn't have an awesome hand to play. Uh, Sorbrick did a really nice job of playing it. MN Irish 2019, is the basketball team trending in the right direction as they head into more meaningful play? Toledo and Fairleigh Dickerson are both mid-majors, but both made the NCAA tournament last year. Should we be cautiously optimistic about making a return trip to the NCAA tournament? Tim, are you cautiously optimistic about Notre Dame making the NCAA tournament? No, I am overtly pessimistic about them making the NCAA tournament. But uh, they do play pretty good defense. Uh, defense when you play really good teams in basketball at their level. I'm not saying all defense. Virginia defense is different. They play pretty good defense, and that's going to help them and experience not lose games that they were obviously going to lose all of last year and continually lost all of last year, even to the point where they exceeded our expectations and how bad, or exceeded our thoughts of how bad they could be. They have a little bit going on defense. They're, they can't shoot. So it's going to be tough nights. There's going to be nights where they're hot, whatever, but that doesn't mean you can shoot. Everybody should hit baskets once in a while. That's the point of the game. Um, they don't have enough depth. They don't have enough offense. They don't have enough skill, in my opinion, this year to make the tournament. I do think guys like Leshevsky will become good next year. Maybe at the end of this, you know, can progress. Because um, we're seeing it a little bit from Goodwin now, but I don't think they are uh, good enough to make the tournament. The fact that in seven games they have actually shot 50% or better in three of those games... Tells you about the schedule that they've played. Um, I agree with the defense, I, and I think Rex Fluger is the whole key to that. If Rex yeah. Fluger was not on, Rex Fluger will make sure that they play good defense. Now, after FDU missed their first 18 shots last night, they pretty much stopped playing defense at that point. But yeah, that's fine though. That's but, not my yeah, concern. No, with I, I got it. And I, you know, we talk about defense this time of year every year. And then you start playing like Maryland next week and you play UCLA 
and you have the ACC schedule coming up, like and Cole they Anthony can't. And the defense is right, like exposed ex- for ex- being average. Exactly, exactly. I'm just saying they are better than last no, year. No, they. But they no, I agree. No, I agree. They are conscientious defensively, and they do alter the way teams. They clearly altered the way Toledo played offense, and Toledo was averaging almost 90 a game. So that's a real positive. I agree, not enough shot makers, not enough dynamic athletes, um, not, you know, Durham not tough enough when it matters. I thought Leshevsky's performance last night was significant coming off the big shot against Toledo. Yeah. Um, if you can't be confident coming off that. You're gonna have some trouble. No, he's a good. He's a good. That's put, true. Be but a good player. but you gotta be confident just, there. you know, I am not cautiously. I'm, I'm, I'm pessimistically optimistic. Is that possible? No, I don't think so. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, there. No. What I'm trying to say is, there's a sliver of hope there, but I'm pessimistic <laughs> first. Uh, Tim Opel, Opel, you have to pick one Notre Dame coach. And his position group to eat Thanksgiving dinner with. Who is it? Clark Lee mm. and the linebackers. Bo Bauer was funny. I interviewed him last night. Owusu Koromo is an interesting guy to talk to. Uh, Drew White's consistent. 100%. 100% of the time. Uh, Drew White, if you happen to listen, we like you. But yeah, 100% of the time. Yeah. He answers 100% of the time. We all have our yes. frequent phrases, don't we? Uh, Clark Lee would be interesting. I don't even know what the... <laughs> Other group would be yeah, right. You know, <laughs> corners might be fun. Like Troy Pride's funny. Yeah, you know, funny Todd guy. Light, I think, is an interesting guy to to hang out with. Um, that would be up there. I don't know if anybody offensively comes to mind. Um, what about Chip and the tight ends? It's not Chip and the quarterbacks. So it's like Chip and Cole Komet. Uh, That's a good time. Yeah. See, um, it's different than Chip and the quarterbacks. Chip and the tight ends. Yeah, no, I would have to go cor- tight end or linebackers one, corners two. So I, you know, safety's three, and that's I'm skipping the rest of it. I think I mean I have to lean toward. I, I mean, imagine how how entertaining it would be to have a, a a entire day and early evening eating and drinking with Jeff Quinn in the offensive line. I think that that would be. I'm going to drink. I, you know, I'm not. <laughs> you don't think the offensive line is on Thanksgiving? But you're you're going to be up? fishing as well. <laughs> well yeah. <laughs> yeah <you're going> <laughs> but that's not my first choice. My first choice is a defensive line because I enjoy uh, being around Mike Elston yeah. when we have those opportunities. And I he think tell it, you what he thinks about you right away. Just frankly. exactly. <laughs> and I think it would be fascinating to watch Kurt Heinisch eat Thanksgiving dinner, mm. and you get free cookies from. Beth I was Elston. also going to ma- mention good. Beth Elston and her prodigious cookie making with the yeah. girls, and uh, so I think there are a lot of benefits to to um, having Thanksgiving dinner with uh, with with the guys in the trenches. He's trying to gain something out of this. Yeah. I was just going to yeah. talk to Bob right. Lee. All right, uh, before we make our predictions, a, a, a reminder once again, our next pod ta- podcast will be Tuesday, December 3rd. Our travel schedule is later than normal coming back from Northern California. I hope our, our travel schedule out there isn't later than normal because of the weather. Uh, but our podcast will be on Tuesday, December 3rd. Gentlemen, predictions. I like Notre Dame by a lot, even with the weather. Um, I think they'll be able to sort of pass their way through 20-mile-an-hour winds and slight Ninety percent chance of showers. They have experience trying. They do. Um, so I think that I predicted thirty-eight fourteen for Boston College. So I'm going to stick with that. Thirty-eight fourteen for Notre Dame Stanford. 
I'm going to give a little credit to the weather and just do about 34-13, and I will not give another opponent more than one touchdown against Clark Lee until that opponent's name is attached to Trevor Lawrence. Okay. I think, well, O'Malley and I actually picked the same score last week, and you two guys are close, and I think I'm going to be around there. The line has gone up to 16 and a half. Which I mean that 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 is clear reflection that they do not think Stanford's going to score. You want to come full circle? Notre Dame was a sixteen and a half point underdog in two thousand thirteen at Stanford. Two thousand thirteen. Bring that okay. up to Brian Kelly when you say, "Did you like enjoy rubbing it in?" And yeah. <laughs> he wasn't taking your bait on that, but I know you're going. That was good. We no, but it's like I think that he has a healthy respect for like Clay Helton and USC, which is, you know, even though yeah. it's a big rivalry game. Uh, Sarkeesian, I think he felt the same way about. He said, Sar- I don't think he feels the same way at all about David Shaw and Sanford. No, he said about Sarkeesian after the game, that was the 49-14 yeah. game, he said, Steve showed a lot of class. He right. could have beaten us by seven. Right. He said it in a press conference. I mean, that's... Yeah. And everybody apparently likes Clay Helton. I've yeah. been reading about that recently. He's In- like the nicest guy. Including his players? Yeah. Yeah. We have one more question from G.R. Smith. Which oh, is, I missed it. Which is greater? Turkey on Thanksgiving Day or turkey sandwiches the day after? And we all have a different answer than you people at home. Uh, well, it's turkey on Thanksgiving Day because the day after I'm having um, Frontera Grill exactly. in O'Hare Airport. Yes. Boom. Frontera Grill yeah. the O'Hare yeah. Airport. Yeah. Uh, 11, 12 that's, straight years running for me yeah. now. I haven't had a turkey sandwich since 2008. That's, that's not a choice. Yeah. <laughs> we don't get no. turkey sandwiches we the next day. We, tr- we, we did uh, make a choice. Yeah. <laughs> Thanksgiving Day yes. is okay. turkey. Well, um, do you pack one with a moist maker in your uh, <laughs> the Ross Geller moist maker? Con- considering you? I have such a late flight that I'm going to be arriving Monday morning, uh, so I won't be joining you guys for dinner. So I'll I'll, uh, I'll definitely take the turkey sandwiches. Thank you very much. <laughs> we appreciate you joining us for this week's uh, our, our second podcast of the week. Tim and I will be at Stanford Stadium prior to the game. Everybody have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thanks for joining us. Indiana Dunes Tourism, located between Chicago and South Bend in northwest Indiana, is a proud supporter of Irish Illustrated. Extend your Notre Dame visit with a trip to the nation's newest national park. Visit indianadunes.com.